is charge for your work, charge something. But sometimes that doesn't necessarily like jive with people. I think there's two types of starting. I think people, there's some people who know what they're selling and are starting to sell it. And then there's some people who have no idea what to sell. Um, and so to the people who don't know what to sell, so maybe obviously to the people who are like, I have a skill, I know what that is and I wanna help people charge for it. But the people who don't know what they're selling, I, I was in that same boat. I, I didn't know what I was selling. I didn't know what uh, benefit uh, it could provide people. And um, I think the simple, there's no simple answer here. Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that's grown several startups into seven and eight figure businesses, as well as a founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where he helps startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. If you ever need help with yours, just go to strategymeeting.com, grab some time with us to chat, and we're always here to help. Now, today we've got another great guest on the podcast, Andrew Camfrey, and or Camfrey, and uh, Andrew went to college, uh, wanted to go into doing uh, film and video, ended up going in uh, doing a theater degree, um, found out there wasn't a lot of professions or, or professions with that degree. Uh, so Joe from uh, Florida, Chicago, uh, was while he was driving, had an interview for a cruise line, thought he failed the interview, ended up uh, working at uh, or as a Santa in Chicago for a period of time, and then eventually moved on to doing the uh, cruise ship, being part of their production crew, worked on the ships for about uh, five years, running a television network, and then uh, learn, or along the, his journey as well, learned uh, Excel and uh, doing some of the uh, sheets and the uh, uh, formulas and the whatnot there. So after uh, quitting the cruise ship, left and went to LA and uh, did film and video for a period of time. Um, and then finally uh, got or got a low-level job and worked on uh, doing Google Sheet scripts and ended up moving uh, doing that to his full-time position and uh, then uh, started his business, which is what he's doing now, and he'll give a bit more details on that. So with that much as an introduction, welcome on the podcast, Andrew. Thank you very much. That was, a, that was such a rapid fire, like 15 <laughs> years of my life. <laughs> I, I do what I can to condense everybody's life in about 30 to 45 seconds. And so mission accomplished. But uh, no, with that, so I, I took a, a much longer journey and condensed it into a much shorter version. So backing up a bit, tell us a little bit about uh, coming out of college with uh, your uh, theater degree and how your journey got started there. Yeah, going into college, wanting to do a film, going into a college that had no film program other than the English department, which meant like scripts and writing, a uh, little bit of video uh, in uh, mid 2000s. Um, and still pieced together uh, a degree in theater from still taking uh, classes in film, video, met one of my best friends of all life, uh, who was on a very similar journey, um, which you might actually like, I didn't, uh, he, me and him met doing video. We made short videos and films. And then he ended up going into entertainment law uh, 
after that. He wanted to get the entertainment side done, then he went to law school and then combined the two and went into entertainment law for 15 years. Oh, cool. So now you said, okay, have a friend that's gone down that path now, you know, circling back a bit to your journey. So you found out coming out of school that, you know, theater degree is, you know, fun and exciting. You get to learn a lot, but it's a difficult degree. It sounds like in order to find a profession or a career outside or after college. And so as you're graduating, coming out of school and I, or how did your kind of, how did you go about figuring out what you're going to do after graduation? Yeah, after graduation, about half of my friends went to Chicago and the other half went to Los Angeles. Um, I didn't flip a coin and just decide to go to Chicago. It was actually kismet, like a totally random, uh, this is going to date me and, and show my age, but AOL Instant Messenger chat with one of my friends who had already moved to Chicago. He was like, just come join us. Well, you can sleep on our couch. And so I think within like 30 days, I uh, packed my stuff and drove to Chicago from Florida. Um, on the way, I uh, had a call of a phone interview with Royal Caribbean in which I pretty much <laughs> admitted by the end of it that I was like, I don't have any film or video professional experience and they were like, yeah, I, we don't think this is going to work out. But I was like, well, is there any way to get on the ship? And they're like, yeah, you can get on the ship. And actually, you have a theater degree, so you could just become a stage staff. And I was like, all right. But I was already, I was literally like two hours outside of um, going from home to Chicago, <laughs> from my house to Chicago. And I was like, mm. I guess I failed that one. Ended up in Chicago on my friend's couch. Uh, for 30 days, it was like the longest 30 days of my life. Um, but they were super friendly uh, and and great people um, to host me. <laughs> and, and I ended up getting a really tiny apartment in Chicago, uh, mm. working and uh, <laughs> getting a minimum wage job as a Santa. So now you say, okay, well, I mean, and sometimes you take those jobs, you got to have an income, got to get somewhere yeah. and you got to keep yourself busy and engaged in the workforce. So now as you're doing, you know, working as a, a Santa for a period of time, and that I assume is probably a fairly seasonal job. And so now as you're trying to figure out what you're doing after the Santa gig works out, I think you mentioned that you got a call back from the cruise or you heard from, from the cruise or something along those lines to, to start working on the production crew. Is that right? Yeah, so I actually got a call from the cruise line before I was done with being Santa. And I, uh, obviously the job of Santa is done on, on uh, December 25th. So I was like, well, I don't want to give up, like, even though it was minimum wage. I mean, I, I understand now, years later, like opportunity cost and, and risk assessment. And at the time I was not aware of that. And I was like, well, I have this, job that's paying me dollars like I get a check every week and it's going to end why don't I just finish it out because I <laughs> I didn't want to like uh burn any bridges I didn't want to like say I'm I quit and even though people quit these jobs all the time and nobody cares <laughs> little mm -hmm. did I know then um but I was like yeah sorry I won't take the job uh or actually I was like can I do can I get on the ship December 26th and they're like uh we, we really need you on this date 
we'll call you back when we get another uh, job. And I was like, I guess I blew that one. I guess like uh, I didn't, I didn't get the job. And then the job ended as a Santa, obviously two weeks later, I was, I was literally uh, counting my options. I was like, well, do I go work in a uh, ice skating rink job doing working minimum wage or uh, something else? I was, uh, I think I was, I was moonlighting very, very few hours, but doing stage work, like pushing boxes and stuff at like uh, late uh, setups of conventions and things. And I was like, man, this is great hourly work, but like, it's not a lot of it. I was like, it was a couple hours mm. a week. Um, so I was like, what are my options? And then they called back and they said, we got a job for you. I said, I'll take it. It was January 12th uh, in Chicago. I had already seen my first snow of my life growing up as a Florida boy. I was ready to go. Little did I know I was really getting out of the worst time of the year in Chicago. I think everybody from Chicago will tell you January through March is not a happy time. Mm. So now as you're saying, okay, got the hourly, you know, you're kind of bouncing between some hourly jobs after Santa, you get the call back, say, Hey, whatever it is, I'm game for it. Let's do it. And so now you're going out and where was that? What was the cruise line? Where did you go and how, or how did it work out? So four months after I left Florida, I drove back to Florida, <laughs> waved at my parents. Actually, I didn't even just say hi to my parents. I actually drove back to my home and then my dad drove me down to Miami. Uh, that was a weird experience having your dad uh, drop you off at work. Um <laughs> But like the whole time I really thought like in the back of my mind, I was like, is this real? Like, it's just a couple of phone calls. I, I got a little paper that said, you know, I'm, I got this job on the ship, but I was like, is this a scam? I didn't pay anything. Like if, if I feel like it would have been a scam if I had paid for some uh, uh, application process or there was some payment I already made, maybe that was a scam, but the, I didn't pay them anything. The recruiter was only going to make money when I, joined and had the job hmm. but still in the back of my head I was like is this for real like I I didn't know anyone who worked on cruise ships little did I know later on that uh out of 1400 crew members on the ship uh I was one of only 26 Americans and that ratio pretty much stayed the same throughout my five-year career there um very few Americans ever work on ships obviously every American actually one in like eight or one in seven Americans will like go on a cruise on their life. Like I had never even been on a cruise myself. <laughs> so I was like, what am I getting into? Um, but yeah, I showed up at the dock. They said, you got this job, start working. And man, it, it took off. It was six a month contract, seven days of work a week, uh, 10 to 14 hours a day. Uh, it was quite an experience. So now, and so you get on there and, it, you know, it would be a little bit, okay, I've got a job. I've never actually seen you in person. I'll drive down there. Hopefully it's there and I can get a little bit of the skepticism, but it sounds like it worked out. So you get on the cruise ship and it sounds like, you know, uh, uh, probably a fun experience, but a lot of grueling hours. And now how long did you work on the cruise line or how long were you at in that position? Yeah. So um, originally, right. My idea was film and TV. And now I had been, Bound, already bounced from Chicago back to ships 
and uh, still had that like ultimate goal of doing uh, video and film. And to put it in exact terms of what I had in my head for years was I wanted to be paid for having a camera on my shoulder. Uh, like that was quite literally what I had in my head. Um, that's what I thought for being a professional video professional would be. Um, mm. And so I started working, I worked one contract and then another contract. So what that meant is I did six months, seven days a week, 10 to 14 hours a day. Uh, by the way, legally, like international law dictates that you cannot work more than 14 hours a day. So that is the limit at which you can work. You cannot work, continue working if you work 14 hours in a day. Uh, hmm. There's other international laws that are quite interesting on ships. And so I would work six months, then I had two months off. Now, there's only one other job in the world that sort of has this kind of schedule where you work a lot of hours throughout almost seven days a week, months and months and months, and, and then take months off, like, which is teaching, right? Teachers have quote unquote summer off um, two to three months, maybe less than three months. So six months work, two months off, then six months of work. And my second contract was not as interesting as my first. The first one was like sort of a honeymoon phase, had a great manager, had a great time there, learned a lot, learned how I was going to get to become a video technician on the ship. And then I had a terrible second uh, <laughs> contract where all of the new fun stuff was zip, zilch, like none of the fun stuff, all the bad stuff. And then I also was not attaining my goal. I was not on a good path to get to become a video technician. Hmm. So there was a little wrinkle here that I ended up leaving the second contract, not taking a third contract immediately, and ended up in Mongolia uh, working in a TV network where, again, a total serendipitous thing happened. A friend emailed me and said, I'm in Mongolia for the last two years. I got a job at a TV network. I can get you a job here. And I was like, great. I, I want a job in, a, in TV. So I literally flew to Mongolia with a job in hand, uh, worked for two weeks. They didn't pay us. So we, so we didn't quit. They fired us because they couldn't pay us. Um, we were like, we want to continue working if you want to pay us. <laughs> and ended up in Mongolia for four months. My God, working in the, in the TV network working, I was directing a television show. I was also making music videos for local bands, uh, writing about uh, uh, the music scene that my friend was a editor in chief of a ma magazine. And then I was like, okay, I finally attained my like real goal of doing video and film and like for quote unquote professional reasons. But living in Mongolia is far worse than living in Chicago. It was like October when I left Mongolia because I was like, I got to get on a ship. And they hmm. gave me like a week notice. I was like, hey, can I get back on a the ship? They're like, we got a job for you in a week. Can you get to my, uh, no, I had to get to Mexico from Mongolia. My God. So I got back on the ship on my third contract. Uh, I set the goal. I will never do another contract again as a stage staff. And I did literally... During that contract, after living in Mongolia for four months, in now is in the Caribbean again, and I was like, I am so motivated 
to become a video tech that literally every single day after work of my stage job, I went and knocked on the door of the video techs and was like, can you show me something to do? Can, you, can I learn something right now, today? I'm ready. I, I knocked on their door every single day. And by the end of that contract, I had a contract in hand for um, becoming a video tech the next time I was on the ship. No, you, so, and I think that's great. And I think that uh, what I like about that is it shows initiative. Hey, I've, I've set my goal. I'm not going to take no for an answer. Even if I have to go and work for free or get there, you know, get some, put in some additional hours or get some additional, you know, guidance, I'm going to do it because I'm going to reach my goal. And that's awesome that you're able to reach your goal. So now you become the video tech. And I think you stayed on as a video tech with the protection crew for a few years on the cruise line. Is that right? Yeah. Um, ended up still in broadcast tech. Um, department working on video on the ship for the next three years. Uh, my role sort of changed, but all for the better and ended up um, guide, getting into this brand new job within the broadcast team, which was part of uh, digital signage on ships, which is now, I think now 10 years later is like pretty common amongst uh, cruise ships. But literally I was there when they were installing the these digital signage. Um, I had to learn the software the content and the hardware. I, I had never done IT work. I had never done like uh, networking of, it was, these were Mac minis at the time behind a big Sony touchscreen. Hmm. Had to learn it all within, within a few weeks. Um, on my fourth contract, I was not supposed to take on this new role. I was supposed to continue as a broadcast technician. And <clears throat> they, the person that I, I literally just followed this person around and was like, can you just show me this stuff? I'm interested. I want to do this. Eventually, I don't have any technician, um, IT technician work experience. Obviously, no one knew these screens before. So it was brand new for everyone. And I just followed this guy around for a few weeks. And then they were like, hey, the person that was supposed to come and take this job isn't coming. And I was like, oh, I wonder who's going to do it. And the person who was showing me, I was like, oh, I guess you're going to stay for another few months. And, and he's like, nope, I'm leaving. You're going to do this. I was like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> I was like, I'm, gonna, I'm supposed to be doing this other job. <laughs> and then yeah, three years of that, it was a really fun experience. No, I think that's awesome. And that's uh, definitely, you know, it's always interesting how you end up where you end up. And sometimes it's, uh, you know, part of a plan and sometimes it's uh, happenstance and sometimes you make the, the best of different situations. So that's awesome that you got that opportunity. So now you stayed on the cruise line, you said for about three years, and then as you decided, okay, been on the cruise line long enough, wrapping it up, want to do something else. Kind of, I think from there you went to LA or Hollywood and uh, tried to, or worked in the film industry for a bit of time. Yeah, what a what a naive experience this was. A total total uh, total ignorance on my part, but also more naivete than anything else. I had worked on ships now for five years. I had done uh, video work professionally. I had learned editing software. I had uh, learned how to uh, make so many different types of television and and shows, edit them, package them, and then. In my spare time, which again, working international law hours, you don't really have much spare time, but um, peace, peace be with myself. Um, I really made it a point to do things on the side that I was never getting to do 
professionally. So I created a, uh, produced my own t documentary with a director. We worked together, made a documentary that is ended up on all of the ships. So we produced it independently, but we were like, hey, <laughs> we went to our boss. We we're like, hey, we made this documentary about the ship, about the hmm. theater side. And he's like, we, we can't play this. Like, we, we can't use this. Uh, you made it, but like, it's not a, a, an official thing. And so we sent it to the office, like the main office. They're like, we've never seen anything like this from anyone who's ever worked here before. We're going to put this on every single ship. So it ended up, our boss had to play it on our ship because the office told him, you must play um, Ended up shooting my own short film wrote and directed it using uh, crew members as actors. Uh, it was actually a very experimental video piece where, mm. and it was also a very odd thing that years later, Hallmark, this is a total coincidence. Years later, Hallmark, there's a Hallmark movie that has an oddly similar premise. Uh, mm. It's The idea is it's called The Honeymooner and it's a guy who, after getting married, his wife dies. And instead of not going on the honeymoon, he takes the urn with her on the cruise. And it's so dark and so terrible, but it's all told there's no audio except for voicemail messages left by his friends and family. Sorry, that so was now, a weird. So now, let, no, and I think that is an interesting coincidence. And, you know, I, I think that sometimes it's, Hey, there's a lot of ideas out there. There's similarities and people draw inspiration from them. Sometimes they, you know, find out about it and it's a, it spawns a new idea. But so now help or just to kind of fast forward through the story just a bit, just to kind of catch us up to make sure we have uh, time for where you're at today. So you did that. You worked in the cruise industry. You did the film. You did the video. Now help us understand how you made that transition from doing that to doing Google Sheets scripts and kind of making that jump because it seems like you know it's a bit of a distinct or different skill set or different path than uh, you know from working on films and doing you know those type of production to going to work on google sheets yeah it's a huge jump uh while i was on ships uh and doing this digital signage one of the things we used was excel spreadsheets and there was one task that i was like i really don't want to do this and and it's more about the mundanity, mundanity than like being lazy. Like I was just like, oh, I think this, this thing can just happen all the time. So I ended up learning Excel VBA very, very little bit, but like just enough to get something done. Excel VBA was automatic, like sort of scripting in Excel. When I left ships and went to LA specifically to be in the film and TV industry, it was a very hard time because nobody knew what cruise ship work was like. Nobody knew the breadth and the depth of experience that I had. And so when I had one line on my resume that said Royal Caribbean broadcast tech, not a single person in Los Angeles really knew what that meant. Um, so it was very hard to get a job, very hard to get in anywhere. So a year and a half later, I ended up with a PA job at a startup television network. So this is again, very lucky where if I, if I went and worked at a TV network, they'd have all their processes done. If I went and worked at a startup, they would have no experience in TV and film. So it had to be very much a TV and film, a TV startup. It was a brand new company. 
had only been working around for like about six months and they needed to hire like 30 people in one, we really started on like one day uh, to launch a television network. So I got hired on September 2nd, the day after Labor Day. And then we were supposed to launch a 24 hour television network by October 1st. Hmm. And uh, <clears throat> before they were using Google Sheets, or at least they, they were using Google Sheets and, and now there was a single person who had used these sheets for her own personal reasons in the, she, in the, in the company. And mm -hmm. now like eight to 30 people had to use these sheets. And I was not a Google Sheet expert in any way then. I was not a guru. I didn't know anything about Google Sheets, but I just listened. I, I ended up staying, I got there early and stayed late uh, because of Los Angeles traffic I was not used to after having a 30 second commute from my cabin to my office on chips. I was not used to an hour and a half in the car every day or in the morning and in the evening. So I stayed late in the office and just listened to these sort of complaints about, you know, having a sheet and now other people are using it and not really knowing how to use it. And I remember I was like, well, Google Sheets has Google Script, which can't be that different than Excel VBA. It wasn't at the time, it was very, very similar. And I solved one, it took me two weeks, but I wrote one line of Google script to solve one problem uh, that I, I kept hearing over and over again every night. I, and I would Google, okay, can I figure this out? Can I figure this out? Only one script and two weeks later, into this job, which I had no agency, I had no authority, I had, I was a PA. And I said to my boss, I was like, hey, can I show you this thing that I made? One line of script that does this thing. And it seemed magical. It was like, oh my God, you can do that. We put it into, we put it into the sheet right away. We started it right away. Um, everybody was thankful. And every day since I just Googled more and more stuff and I made that script better and better. And then kept solving more and more problems every day. Two months later, I got a promotion to do just that. Literally, the CEO took me out to the balcony and was like, hey, what you're doing now is good, but we want you to do this thing on sheets more. So do that. With all your time, do that. Um, and then for roughly four or five years, four-ish years, I Googled every day how to do stuff. We ended up making an entire CRM to license content. Uh, in, in Google Sheets, we made an entire production suite from uh, getting YouTube videos, licensing them, uh, getting them approved and watched and produced, and then really making the script for the 24-hour network. The 24-hour so, television network was running on Google Sheets. So now, now help us again, fast forward just a bit. So now you do start doing that. You know, you work on Google Sheets, you figure a few things out. They say these work great. We'd like you to do more of it because you're the only person that under, or probably understands how to do it. And we, you know, and it's beneficial, increases efficiency. Now, how did that transition from do, or doing that from them? Because I think now Google Sheets, Google Scripts are your full-time gig and that's what you focus on and you've kind of made your own business out of it. So how did you kind of make that leap or transition to where you're at today? Yeah, and again, it's it, it's not a one-to-one. -one. It, it's not like I set out to become a Google Sheets guru and now I am. Uh, I was just that Google Sheets guy in the office, right? Uh, I didn't even think I was that special because, I mean, all literally all I was doing each and every day was 
Googling the answer to a problem or breaking down a problem to its essential elements and then figuring out all those problems. Um, not thinking that I was special, not thinking I, I had anything interesting or to do. I was just solving people's problems in the, that I was sitting next to, right? I wanted to do film and TV. I was working on this, this television network. We were making more television networks each year. We, made, we launched four television networks in four years. And then I ended up leaving the company because I had started a newsletter and I was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to do this newsletter. And I got very uh, dis, uh, disillusioned with living in Los Angeles. Um, I thought there was more to the world after <laughs> traveling the world uh, for five years. Uh, I thought I really don't want to live in Los Angeles, even though Los Angeles is like a wonderful nope. international city. So yeah, just and now just for sake of time, just because I do want to get to where you're at today, help me understand where where are you at today, or kind of what does that lead? So after a couple of years of bouncing around ideas of I was getting more into uh, programming, uh, I wanted to create a SaaS product. I created a newsletter, created a a SaaS product for newsletters, um, and then the pandemic started, right? I was not in the US, I was traveling, uh, I was remote, had worked remotely for a company, had worked remotely for myself working on this newsletter and uh, 2020 came around. <laughs> I read a, a TNW, the Next Web article about how useless the transpose formula was in Google Sheets. And I, was, I read this very quick article and I got extremely angry. <laughs> I was like, this transpose formula is so useful. And I thought, here's 10 ways to use it. I was like, I've used it so many different ways. And I can tell you 10 different ways to use it right now off the top of my head. And I realized like, there's no resources. There, there are resources, right? to find out about Google Sheets and Google Sheets. If I know I wanna use the transpose formula, I can go figure out how to use that with tutorials. But there are no tutorials, and this is now March, 2020. At the time, there were no tutorials that say, here are creative use cases for these things. There are only like, here's how to use this thing. Like you're trying to solve X, here's this thing. Um, and so I just started, Better Sheets, uh, bettersheets.co. Mm -hmm. I've literally started it with eight videos. I, in one day, I made eight videos talking about the use cases of these different formulas. Uh, instead of saying, you're, you're trying to figure out how to use the transpose formula, here's the answer. I said, you know the transpose formula, here's 10 great, interesting ways to use it. Um, put four behind a paywall on Gumroad, gave four out for free on the website. I think they were still Loom videos at the time. I recorded them in Loom, screencast, screen share, and it put it out for sale. I said, and, and it was a strange pricing thing where normally courses will be some large price and then you get that course. I was like, I don't really know what I'm gonna do after these eight videos. I know I'm gonna do something. So I said, you know, you're taking a chance. So give me the one price and I'm going to give you access forever. You're going to get every video I ever make ever again. Um, so this is not a monthly deal. This is not uh, a subscription. You pay once, 
you get everything forever. Hmm. And in the pandemic, during the recession, this kind of pricing is the way to go. Um, in normal times, you can say, yeah, pay me $10 a month, $20 a month, $30 a month, and you get sort of rolling access and we add updates and stuff. But during the recession and during, during a recession and during the pandemic, people do the math. If you, do, if you charge $10 a month, that's $120 a year. Uh, people will do the math. And it gets really hard to sell subscriptions. <laughs> No, absolutely. And I, and I do think that there's people that, you know, are getting worn out with subscriptions. You have so many subscriptions, what, or, you know, you have five subscriptions for all your streaming services. It seems like you have a subscription for food delivery, you have a subscription for every single thing, part of your life. And you're saying, okay, these all start to, it's death by a thousand cuts. And so it's interesting that you found a different approach. So now let's fast forward today, just because we are getting towards the end of the time on the podcast. And I want to make sure that people know where you're at today. So started in the pandemic, rolled it out, did some videos, tried it out, started to get customers, found a good pricing model. Now catch us up. Where's it at today? What's going on with it? Full-time gig, millions of dollars draining down from the sky, still building it, growing it, have a team kind of give us an idea. Where's it at today? Great. Oh, great question at the end. Do I have a team? I don't have a team still. Um, Now it's at 3000 members, uh, just past hundred K revenue after two years um total right there's no there's a little bit of recurring i do have an option now 19 dollars a month but many people are going still for the lifetime deal which is now 69 dollars. i sell it through AppSumo, which was literally life or death the uh, alive or dead kind of existence where uh AppSumo two years ago started their AppSumo marketplace uh where anyone can put up a product for their two million people uh, sumo links. I had ended up buying, I had bought like brain FM as a lifetime deal, like in 2015 or something. So I have been a, a sumo link for a while and they, it's been wonderful. They have promoted the lifetime deal. It's on AppSumo. You can get it there. And yeah, 3000 members later, hundred K in revenue total. Um, that's not take home pay, uh, has kept me alive. I've had a baby, and during the pandemic, uh, he's alive, he's healthy. Um, well, that's we're awesome. All doing well. That's cool. No, it's fun to see how things, you know, you started out trying it out, doing it for a day and it slowly builds and grows. And, and, and sounds like it is, you've carved out a great niche uh, uh, for that. So now as we've caught up a, a bit to where we're at today, I'm going to jump to the two questions I always ask at the end of each episode. Now, before we do that, just as a teaser to the audience, we are also doing the one crazy entrepreneurial idea as a bonus question. So if you want to stay tuned for that, definitely make sure to, to keep listening after we wrap up the episode. With that in mind, now we will jump to the last two questions. So the first question I always ask is, along your journey, what was the worst business decision you ever made? And what did you learn from it? Yeah, so the worst business decision I've ever made is to create a business and not charge for it. Uh, my skills set is one thing. You can sort of get started doing things for free sometimes, but especially creating an online business, it's killing it, shooting yourself in the foot if you don't charge for it. And why that is, is because anybody coming into it, anybody using a product for free is not a validated customer. We think 
We're going to validate our idea. We, want our, we, we don't know if this is going to work. We have an idea. We think it's going to help. We don't know. We have imposter syndrome. We, have, um, it, we, we think it's little. Oh, it's not going to help that much. But charging for it will actually solve those problems, not giving it away for free. And how I got around that was uh, by finding the pricing model that I could stand by, that I could stand behind and say, you know, you're taking a chance on me. I'm taking a chance on this, but like you're going to get rewarded for it by getting an insane amount of value later if you take this chance now. Um, Mm. I just charge no. for everything. <laughs> and I, I think that there's, you know, there's that kind of the, hey, I will start out giving it away for free. And, you know, sometimes it works, you know, on apps and you're trying to get a user base and, or if you have an advertising model, but most of the time, I think people tend to undervalue their work or they tend to say, hey, we'll give it away for free, see if people like it and they'll like it at free. But it, to your point, it doesn't validate whether or not people are willing to pay for it, what they're willing to pay for it. And you now you set up a model where a lot of times people get used to it being for free and it actually can have the opposite to where if they're used to paying for it, then they're willing to continue to pay for it. If they get it for free and then you start charging, they can sometimes drop out. So I think that's an easy mistake to make, but definitely a great one to learn from. Second well, question. Oh, go ahead. I want to say one more thing because you you meant you gave people an out and I don't think it's a correct, the correct way out is you were like, you said, uh, if you're charging for ads, it's okay to be free. And that actually is um, an oxymoron, right? Like, uh, or it's ironic, right? You're not giving it away for free. You are giving the user for free, but you are still charging. And yep. if your business model is ads, then charge for ads right away from day one. Yeah, no, uh, that, that I agree with. I think that is absolutely a fair assessment that you are still charging. It's just you're charging a different customer or someone else, you know, you having a different client base, um, but it's still, you're absolutely right. You're still not giving it away from free. Second question. If you're talking now to someone that's just getting into a startup or a small business, what'd be the one piece of advice you'd give them? Um, the, the simple advice, which may be, the same thing that we just said is charge for your work, charge something. But sometimes that doesn't necessarily like jive with people. I think there's two types of starting. I think people, there's some people who know what they're selling and are starting to sell it. And then there's some people who have no idea what to sell. Um, and so to the people who don't know what to sell, so maybe obviously to the people who are like, I have a skill, I know what that is and I wanna help people, charge for it. But the people who don't know what they're selling, I, I was in that same boat. I, I didn't know what I was selling. I didn't know what uh, benefit uh, it could provide people. And um, I think the simple, there's no simple answer here, but a few of the things that I've done is talk to people which is hard sometimes, especially online, especially if you're remote, if you don't know who people are. Um, I didn't know who to talk to in the influencer marketing industry, even though I was working in the influencer marketing industry for a little bit um, and started a newsletter about influencer marketing. And how I went about talking to people was I just DM them on LinkedIn. I emailed them. Uh, I emailed professionals and asked them, how, how did you get your career? When I was the first 
time I was in Los Angeles and I didn't know any producers and I didn't know how to become a producer and I didn't know how to work in TV, I found a Facebook group of producers who were looking for jobs and I DM them and messaged them and said, can I buy you a coffee? Can I ask you, how did you get to your, how did you get your career? People are willing to tell you about themselves. <laughs> they will talk and talk all the time. Yeah, no. And I think that there's a, I think two takeaways. One is, you know, as you've already said, charge for what you're working or what you're, what you're providing, whether it's a service, whether it's a product or a combination of both, make sure that people are paying and you know, who's going to pay charge someone because otherwise it's just really a hobby and it's not going to ever turn into a business. But I think too, is also connect with people, network, reach out to them. And most people are pretty willing to talk, willing to help and willing to provide feedback. So I think those are, are great takeaways. Well, before we get to the bonus question, if people want to reach out to, they want to be a customer, they want to be a client, they want to be an employee, they want to be an investor, they want to be your next best friend, any or all of the above, what's the best way to reach out to you, contact you, find out more? Yeah, to reach me, my email is everywhere online. Um, <laughs> uh, at bettersheets.co, you can find anything related to Google Sheets, and I have an Ask Me Anything policy. You can email me, ask me anything. Uh, on Twitter is probably where I spend a lot of my time now. Um, it is one of the best open protocols to get people uh, into what you're doing and to be able to print your, your work. Uh, Twitter.com slash Kamphy, my last name, K-A-M-P-H-E-Y. Probably the best way to like figure out what I'm doing any day of the week. Um, follow me on Twitter, but also DM me. Uh, my DMs are open. I do reply. Uh, and I do reply to every email that I get. Um, if you listen to this and you're listening now and you want to email me, find my email uh, on camphy.com, on camphyapproved.com, Twitter slash camphy, DM me. I'm open and happy to talk. All right. Well, sounds like a lot of great ways to connect and uh, definitely encourage people to, to reach out, especially if you're needing any help with your Google or Google scripts. And with that, thank you again for coming on the podcast. It's been a fun. It's been a pleasure. Now, for all of you that are listeners, if you have your own journey to tell and you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, we'd love to have you. So just go to inventiveguest.com, apply to be or to apply to be a guest on the show. A um, couple more things as listeners, make sure to click share, subscribe, and leave us a review if you want to make sure that everyone finds out about all these awesome episodes. And last but not least, if you ever need help with your patents, your trademarks, or anything else with your startup, your small business, just go to strategymeeting.com, grab some time with us to chat. Well, with that, now as we uh, shift gears just a bit, and it's always kind of fun, you know, if you're anything like me, I always kind of have at least, and I probably have a bucket full or a, a lot of them, but, you know, you always have that one or more ideas that you really just, you want to hold on to. Someday you think it's a great idea, you, you, you want to pursue it, but who knows if you ever actually will, but it's always kind of that one crazy idea that you always think is worthwhile to pursue that you kind of hold on to. And so with that, it's always kind of fun to hear other entrepreneurs, other or people that are doing running a business, kind of what that one crazy idea is. And so with that, I'll turn it over to you to share. What is that one uh, crazy entrepreneurial idea that you have? The internet's dollar store. I think okay. that's awesome. It, it's short, it's sweet, and it's pretty self-explanatory. Now, let me ask the question. One of the difficulties is to, to make it work on the internet because, you know, when you can do it as a dollar store, dollar tree, dollar general, whichever one it is, they can get it in bulk. In other words, they get very large or quantities, they have a big pallet shipped to them, and then they can just sit there and have it, you know, they don't have to worry about shipping every individual item. So the question would be is if you're going to make it a dollar, how do you do it with the shipping costs included? 
or do you not include the shipping and it's really a dollar plus shipping? Oh, I don't even think about physical items. Oh. <laughs> I think digital items only. Um, that's really all I would do. The, I would do it all digitally, downloads. Um, I would, I haven't seen this, but I would love people to like offer consulting or calls for a dollar, usually in the internet tech world, people are trying to charge like $30, $40 for a half hour or even $100 or $300 for an hour of your time. A lot of high-priced consultants. But I think you can even start, um, a if you want to start a consultancy, charge a dollar for 10 minutes and hmm. meet 100 people. No, I, I like that. And so, you know, and what you're really doing is a bit, and I think it's a great idea, it would be almost a lead generator, right? In other words, yeah. you're not you're not going to make your money off of the dollar for the 10 minutes. You're not going to make much money off of the dollar for 10 minutes. But what it is doing is, is allowing people to say, hey, I'd like to start to get some areas of expertise or feedback. And so I'm, you know, I only have $10 to do my startup. Well, I can go talk to 10 people and maybe only five of them I end up needing or I really want to talk with. But for the cost of ten dollars, I, I think that's a that's a great idea. So I might have to steal that and incorporate it into Miller IP law, just because I think it's a great way to to help a lot of startups and small businesses. So I won't really steal it, but I may I may mimic it. I hope somebody steals <laughs> it. I've I've been trying to do this. I I tried to set up um, a Google Sheet sort of marketplace and business that could run a dollar. The the biggest issue is the payment processing. Um, I mean, as, as far as I can tell, Gumroad sort of does this kind of thing where they have a lot of free items. You can sell something online for free and take tips or, or people will send a dollar, two dollars. But what the payment processing, no matter what you use, Gumroad, or, or even if you use Stripe um, or uh, PayPal, uh, they're going to take 2.9%, which out of a dollar doesn't sound like much. It's only three cents. But out of every single transaction you do, they take 30 cents. That's mm. the credit card. And so if you're selling a hundred dollar item, 30 cents is nothing. But if you sell a dollar item, that's, you end up making, and I know this because I've sold a lot of dollar items on government. <laughs> I make 67 cents out of every dollar that you spend mm. for me. But I think and, that I like it because it's. If I were to do it, and, and then we'll we'll wrap up the podcast because we've had a great conversation, and I'm sure people will have to have you back on. I think uh, on one of our or maybe our sister podcasts with Inventive Expert. But you know, I like the idea of it's for a lot of like if I were to go into the legal industry, or I know a lot of people in taxes, product development, all these other things. You know, they're always you know SEO, website development, and a lot of different areas. And you're always trying to compete and do that. And, you know, sometimes you'll do a free consult. Sometimes you'll do a paid consult. And about having the idea of, I think, of a dollar store to where, hey, it's not free. You have to do it just even if it's just a minimum amount of commitment. But you can then tell them, hey, you can get 10 experts for $10 and you can have a lot of conversations and a lot of good direction. I, I like the idea. So I, I think it's a good one. I, I, I like that crazy idea that's not too crazy and i might have to someday we, you may see it pop up on miller ip law so we'll see where it goes and maybe we'll collaborate so with that as we wrap you're up also, the, oh, you're, also talking about, <laughs> you're also talking about syncing right uh getting on a call scheduling there's a yeah. lot of opportunity now with async with um okay you want a doll you want to spend a dollar that's going to be five to ten minutes of my time i can make if you give me a 30 second pitch I can give you a five minute loom video or a screencast mm. for a dollar. That, that's great. 
I mean, yep. now for a $5 loom, for a five minute loom for a dollar, talking like 20 bucks an hour. Yeah, no, that's a fair point. And if you can say now, maybe you turn it into it's not a live, but it's you submit a question, you pay a dollar, you get a you get you ask the expert and they give you some feedback with a, a few minute video. I, I like where this is going. It's a good idea. So, well, with that, we've or we, or we've, or we've had a good conversation, a good episode, and we'll go ahead and wrap it up so if people can get back to their day or hopefully finish up their jog. Um, but thank you again uh, for coming on the podcast, Andrew, and wish the next leg of your journey even better than the last. Thank you. Thank you for having me.